Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Super excited to sit down with my good friend JP Nurbin today. JP was a basketball player at University of South Carolina where he won an NIT championship. I met him in Ireland where we played American football together for the Limerick Vikings and combined to win two Irish national championships. He has coached all over the world, including Ireland, Lithuania, and Chattanooga, Tennessee, but it's quick to note that he is first and foremost a husband and a father of two beautiful children. JP's a speaker, writer, mentor, and coach, runs the sports consulting organization Thrive on Challenge, and hosts a podcast called Coaching Culture. Make sure you keep an eye out for his book, Calling Up, which will be published at the end of this year. JP has been a friend of the organization since the beginning, and we always really enjoy sitting down and talk shop. All right, so JP, what was it, 717? 717, Elm Park. I The first time I met JP, he was hanging out a window at 717, and he was shouting my name. <laughs> this is a true story about it. Do you know that? I don't remember the story, yes. no. Jim! We were like, I was walking down, I was walking down whatever that road is um, with Coney and maybe someone else from the apartment, but... Um, but as we approached, like we could hear the music going. But as we approached, <laughs> you were hanging out the window. Like, I'm so excited to meet you. And I was, I felt great. I, I'm not joking. It was such a, I was like brand new. I was still like jet lagged, you know, I'd been yeah, like, yeah. practicing. Um, so it was a very, you were very welcoming. <laughs> I don't really remember this story yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But I'm not surprised because I'm a loud personality and loud vocally certainly enthusiastic yeah very enthusiastic yeah, yeah that's right um and it kind of and it and it started there jp and i met in whatever year that was oh seven oh eight yeah somewhere in that oh eight oh nine probably yeah, on that somewhere yeah. in there um playing we were playing football in limerick ireland of all places jp was a student at the time a student um, an athlete and what I found out to be a hell of a basketball coach as well, but I didn't find that out till a little bit later. Well, the funny thing about it is, you know, you wouldn't have expected me to be a coach because of the fact that as an athlete, the reality is I was pretty uncoachable. Uncoachable. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, 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 is actually the truth, right? It's, and it's so funny that, you know, years later, like literally like a decade later, yeah, you know, that I'm, I'm working with trying to be not just you know help coaches be more coachable or in that aspect and help players be more coachable and and um, it's it's been a wild ride there. <laughs> I think uh, I would love to go down down that line, especially if Kieran ever listens to this, who, who I love. <laughs> but but I but I think you butted heads with anyone who's at the helm. Uh, it probably wouldn't have mattered who's at the helm. You you were going to butt heads with them. That, but that's good. That came from your confidence. That came from uh, uh, probably a host of places. But it reminds me of like my relationship to. Reading, like I am uh, at my best times, like an actual academic, like I really do care about study and, and research and stuff like that. But I had to find that and I had to find it after people stopped telling me that I had to find it, if that makes sense. Like in high school, I, I would read the books that were interesting to me and I don't advise this as a strategy at all, but it's just <laughs> the truth of it. Uh, I, I mean, 
I, I read most of Catcher in the Rye sophomore year of high school. And I think I've read it four or five times since. Yeah. There, there's something about discover, authentic discovery of, of what, reading, coaching, um, the inner workings of psychology that, that, uh, that matters more than being given direction. And maybe that applies to the way that we try to coach now too. Right? 100% I think actually, yeah. right? Because it's like the autonomy is so huge. Mm -hmm. And when we try to control and force things to happen, whether it be as a parent um, or even just as a coach, right? You just you fall flat on your face there. Yep. Now that I'm thinking about that, that's like that's exactly it, right? Like people told me for years to be coachable, be coachable, be coachable, be coachable, <laughs> and it wasn't until like like people weren't there like telling me that, and it was like I experienced failure as a coach that I had to sit back and start to reflect and actually have pay for someone to help coach me up as a coach. Like I was like, man, I'm really lacking in some areas, hmm. and. I think like failure is often like are going to be our biggest teacher, right? Because so you get in those moments, and, and in Ireland I experienced a great deal of success. And as a coach, I wasn't very coachable. Like I, I never yeah. really listened to feedback from parents, from administrators, from other coaches, just people around me that I should have trusted, even friends. And uh, once you get in those moments where you're like, you almost have to hit rock bottom before you kind of wake up and go, you know what? Uh, yeah, I need to take some more initiative on this. And then you find a new passion, like you said, yep. like a passion for reading, a passion for learning, a passion for growing. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good point. We call that the talent delusion. It, hear me on this, because it actually started, uh, back me up on this, Alex. Mm -hmm. um, it started with a swim study that we've done and probably referenced in the podcast before, but um, we measured swimmers across the, the back end of the season. And we measured them in a number of ways. And one of those ways was sleep, just how many hours of sleep they were getting. Uh -huh. And if and what we found was if you slept less than six and a half hours per night, you were four times more likely to be in the bottom half of the team in terms of performance improvement. But like that's like the the, the thing that people are probably like, sure, that makes sense. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you didn't you, you know, you weren't adapting to the stressors, you didn't improve. Fine. But the sort of unwillingness of young people to recognize that lack of sleep was a detriment to their performance was hindered by the fact that they were so freaking good. You know what I mean? Like finishing the bottom half of the team in terms of, of uh, improvement doesn't mean you finish in the bottom half of the team. You know what I mean? Like, so you could be like, well, what the hell? I just got a silver medal at conference. I'm fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, so I, I, I wonder because you had success. To, in fact, let's take this moment to go into the successes you had as an athlete. You showed me your NIT championship ring. Uh, we won a couple Shamrock Bowls together. You are doing great things in coaching. Um, maybe, you know, maybe like you said, you got to hit rock bottom. Maybe that moment just, it, it took a while for that moment to, to strike. Yeah, well, I think I always had a growth mindset when it came to coaching in the sense of I wanted to develop tactically better and I wanted to be a better teacher of skills and skill development, right? I, I wanted to take little talent and grow it. But as a coach, I think where I hit rock bottom was like the cultural development, the character and, and like how to sure. actually interact and, 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 motiv and, and create an environment that is actually not demotivating to athletes, right? Um, I think too often we focus on motivating rather than just, you know, we just sometimes just need to get out of the way. Like in the in case of your reading, right? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I've seen like in my own life and especially in a lot of the athletes you lead, like I think the word potential is really dangerous, right? It, like we tell kids they have potential. We lecture them like you have so much potential if you just put, but how often does that actually pan out, right? And I think I really try to go away from ever using that word with people because I think 
we don't actually understand what our potential is really um we can have an idea of the things that we can accomplish but uh i just try to focus more on what they can do in the actions but yeah i think the talent thing it definitely is a, a, a distract a distraction for athletes right so the and i know as a coach you experience success and people build you up mm-hmm. and I, i've seen coaches out there and and that are really highly successful in the wins column and you go and observe things and they're getting by a lot of times by a lot of talent right yeah and, and, yeah and and, and who it's was, not to be a knock on any coach in particular, but there is those coaches out there. We know them. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Um, I was just listening to something. Someone was comparing uh, Popovich to Calipari, uh, and it was and it was that kind of thing. It's like here's the Spurs who have like the last pick in the draft or close to it every yeah. year, and they have this incredible culture. Um, and then there's this other guy just with a stable, and he's kind of there's it, he's like literally it was I think it was in the maybe in March Madness this year, was having to like grab kids and move them over. He was so like disciplinarian. He did not, he not, didn't allow for that culture. Well, he, has to, like. he has to narrate their entire play like out right. there. Like he's, he's trying to control everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, Cal Perry is like an interesting whole different discussion. But I think what you have Which to also understand is, is, I think you understand this, which is that what Cal Perry is bringing in there is a whole new set of challenges that are right. really, totally. really hard. Like his job is just as hard as anybody else's, and I know that oh sounds crazy. Gosh. No, but definitely. to have that much talent, like I don't know if I'd want that, right? Like I don't even know if, if you could, if Brad Stevens could pick twelve players. I don't think he'd pick for the Celtics tomorrow the best twelve players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, one hundred percent he wouldn't, right? Because he knew that would be an impossible situation to manage for sure. And and you see it like these teams, these super teams now. It's not that easy, and that's why the Celtics can compete because you have. The, the, the talent, the curse of the talent isn't, isn't, or what do you call it? The talent, um, uh, the talent delusion. Yeah, the talent delusion. Yeah, it isn't so prominent in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think it might be talent delusion, meaning like, um, I don't have to do this because I'm good anyway. Yeah, so I, teams can right, have that, right? Right. Teams definitely have that, and the good ones. You mentioned okay, NBA basketball. Steve Kerr is a magician at that. And you can even say Phil Jackson was a magician at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like creating a culture, stepping back when it was Jordan's time or KD's time or whatever it might be. Um, he got he came under heat. Was it this year? He came under heat for um, letting the like letting he let, Steph he let Curry. Him, he let him coach himself. Yeah, he, let he let him, him and people for a couple of plays. That. And and it's kind of funny. It kind of, we got to bring in your comment by the way, uh, but it it is. Um, <laughs> It's it's uh it's just it's it's like it's like genius, you know what I mean? It's like it's genius. It is here's this incredibly talented team running the system that Steve has has put together, um, and he gave them like you use the word autonomy. He gave these professionals autonomy. What the hell are all the armchair quarterbacks like complaining about? Mm-hmm. These these are guys who have played thousands of uh, <laughs> they've been in that situation thousands of times. They're ready. Well, right, and Steph want, Curry yeah. can call a timeout play if he wants to. He's like he's ready, and, and you're giving him ownership, right? I mean, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're an NBA team or an NFL team, or you're the Navy SEALs. Like, mm-hmm. there's that decentralized command theme in the Navy SEALs, which is so prominent. Like, we are going to give people ownership and autonomy to make decisions, and it's yeah. not always coming. Because here's the big yes. thing: as the guy up top. You can't see everything and control everything, dude. I just—you're so right. I just read something on this. Um, shoot, and they compared it. 
they compared Navy SEALs to like pickup basketball. It's like it's almost all improv. You have to be able to enlist a certain set of core rules over this complicated landscape. And if you are always taking piece A and like a chess piece and moving it to area B, then like that they will collapse under pressure. You can't, it's, it's, that doesn't work um, when it matters most. And I think one of the hardest things though is you see people's response and, and why is that? Like people's response is because they have this vision of what good coaching is. Right. It's running up and down the sidelines going crazy, right? The first game I ever coached in my entire life, we talk about Ireland, right? The first mm-hmm. game I ever coached, I, I showed up in Ireland. They all laughed at me because I would show up in like like a shirt and tie, right? And yeah. they were all like coaching in jeans and slacks there, right? right. Mm-hmm. So I show up in a shirt and tie. I'm running up and down, probably like drools coming from my mouth. Like I'm just going absolutely crazy and I'm putting everything that I have into it. Yeah. And you, you kind of admire that passion, right? Like it, mm-hmm. I was passionate. I loved it sure. and I was coaching and I was all in it. And people said there, that's a coach, right? But that wasn't a coach. That was like this crazy guy, right? And, 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 and it's involved sense to know that that wasn't coaching, right? That was yeah. just trying to control people. But the problem is, why I think coaches have a hard time breaking away from that, is because of our experiences of what coaching 100%. looks like and what people say. Like, yeah. what are their parents going to say if I just sit there? Like, mm-hmm. imagine like every like if coaches had the 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 stoic approach that a Brad Stevens has on the mm-hmm. bench. Like, he's just he's there. Like, they were like, oh, he's not coaching. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, high school. No. Oh, he's not coaching. He, he's you know he's not running up into the sidelines, right? Yeah. And. And it's no knock on like a, like a Shaka Smart, all these guys that are passionate. But I, I just question, like, is that the most beneficial way? Well, and, and here's what I would say is that maybe it is. Also, maybe it's not. I, I would just hope that more coaches uh, arrive at their coaching demeanor or persona intentionally. That's yeah. the idea. If, 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 you can, if you can be intense and think on the fly and that's how you're getting, you know, that's how you're being like the best version of yourself in that setting – Great. I, but I agree with you. I don't think that's why most people end up in that character. Yeah. It's because they're, it's their, their, it's like, it's JP starring as coach, like playing coach in today's event. You know what I mean? Instead of like you being the best coach that you can be. Well, I think it's like a proper balance. Like if you are a passionate, intense person, Mm -hmm. I do not think that you have to have a Brad Stevens stoic personality, but you have to be very careful that you don't become, like, you don't smother the flames. Like, if you're starting a campfire and you throw a bunch of wood on there and you're trying to add fuel to it, you can actually put the fire out. Mm-hmm. And so people are naturally, kids are naturally motivated to play their sport. They signed up for it. They've been playing all their... So yeah. sometimes we just need to stay out of the way of that motivation uh, and not smother it with trying to, you know, so be, so ener- like, our energy can smother it, I think, at times. Totally. It, it, I, I use the term prod and respond. Meaning like uh, it's, it's a, there's no, it's like, don't just be stoic. Don't just be intense. Be intentional, be thoughtful, be who you are, but like read the room a little bit. Meaning like prod and respond is like, if I push a little bit, like you have to be a great, this is an unsung virtue of all coaches, all good coaches, I think, is they read people very well, right? Like I'm pushing practice in this way. Uh, what's the reaction of the team like? And then pull back as necessary or charge ahead as necessary, whatever it might be. But prod and respond is a big one. Before we go too far down this line, really do you're sitting back here mm-hmm. and you have so many good things to say, specifically about how you could coach the Warriors to a championship. Not okay. <laughs> I, w- I really the most important thing is that I clarify my point here because it is a take that I, <coughs> um, uh, it's a road I'm so far down that I I'm not turning back. So I'm gonna stand by this. Uh, I said that I could coach the Warriors to the Western Conference Finals. 
in their current iteration. <laughs> and the caveat I had to add later was that the possibility of them quitting the team because they hate me so much, they can't do that. They're not allowed to do it. So, so you added that later. Right? I, that, was a, that was a late I addition. I don't believe that's possible. That's, yeah, I, I, I was, just maybe they'll see. I think as soon as we got out to the first practice and they're like looking at me and the first thing out of my mouth is like, what do you guys think? I, yeah. that's probably not, I think they may. Right. Have you heard of knockout? Yeah. They, they may have been two, two balls. Yeah. <laughs> Get in a straight line. My, my thought, I was convinced. I said, you know what? This is going to work for a while. You spin it the right way. You give Steph the reins. Uh, you know what I mean? But, the, but eventually there will be a coup. <laughs> and, and it's going to be like, you're on the bus from Cleveland to wherever, and they forget you at the rest stop and, and, and keep driving. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I think it's a tough... Uh, I'm thinking about situations in which I would not be ideal as the coach of the Warriors. Uh, number one would be... Drawing like, up basketball draw, Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, that's number one. Number two would probably be like... Like, I don't know what to say to a room full of professional athletes after, like, a tough loss. I'd be like, hey, that LeBron guy's real good, huh? Yeah. Yeah, like, this reminds me of that one time when I was playing pickup after work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, was, uh, I felt the same way, guys. Oh, my gosh. I just couldn't hit anything from three. So. Uh, perfect segue to JP, your, your, uh, your first gigs as a as um, a basketball coach because here, here's another first memory of mine in Ireland of you was I believe you were either getting in well now the memory is clouded it was either <laughs> uh, you were either getting out of in, in nice clothes like you said changing out of uh, nice clothes to come to practice or the inverse of that whatever it was but like you said everyone else is in like sweats or whatever and you you are coming from that that was when I first heard of all the good coaching that you were doing across Ireland. Tell us what that looked like. Well, you know, people said, this guy's American. He played Division One basketball. You know, he's got this fancy ring. He played in the Madison Square Garden, won a, you know, won an NIT championship. And and they're like, he must know a lot about basketball. He must be a great coach. When I had zero coaching experience. But, yeah. like, I found myself within months with multiple job offers. And, and I just, I, I got involved at every level from, like, organizing camps with young kids. I had high school level I had club level, you know, of, of teenagers. You know, within three years, I was coaching men's professional basketball. I coached women's um, collegiate division, like Division One basketball over there. Won a championship with them, and I, I coached like a women's local league, which was like women from the age of twenty-five to like I think somewhere up there where it's of fifty-five. Like some awesome. of them never played basketball in their lives, really. And it was like teaching these women, and some of them had played, and like it's just women trying to stay active in life later. Yeah. Like, I was coaching everything. The full like, spectrum, yeah. The full spectrum. So I was kind of immersed in this coaching experience, which is totally different than I think anything that I would have ever experienced here. Like, you know, the traditional path is you come in, you're an assistant, and what do you do? You you get this experience of, you know, modeling kind of typically the coach you work for, right? Like, I mean, you're going to take a lot from him, then you may create your own. But I remember a Serbian coach, basketball coach that I, that I was um, actually ended up replacing for this professional job he told me like the best thing you can do as a, as a starting off coach is go find like a head coaching job even if it's coaching like under fives right like just go find it so you can kind of develop your own own style and so it was actually a really cool training ground for me 
to develop my own style to fail without really a lot of repercussions. Because if you fail yeah. in America when it comes to coaching, like there's a lot of people watching you. But yeah, you know, most people, most parents were like watching, um, you know, something rugby on their phone while they're at the right, game, right, right, or, or reading the Irish Times, right? Like, right. like they they were they were at the game like just waiting for it to be over. Like they weren't even that engaged. They didn't know what was going on. So, right. uh, yeah, it was a cool experience like that. You were. A coach and a player at the same time, were those things mutually enhancing at all? Or was it kind of like, uh, I'm grinding away at this one job and I will show up to practice and do this other thing that feels completely different? Or how'd that look? Yeah, I think that's actually a great question because I think that it could have been. Mm-hmm. But when you talked about the word intentional mm-hmm. and how we need to actually reflect on our coaching behaviors or our behaviors as a player mm-hmm. and just kind of that self-awareness. And I think, and that's something that's really, I'm kind of becoming really pa- uh, passionate about and, and really trying to hit on a lot of which is that emotional intelligence, really understanding mm-hmm. why we feel something um, and how to kind of manage that. And also just kind of the social awareness aspect of how is everybody else feeling and h- how we can kind of incorporate that. And I, I think that I did not capitalize on that. Like right. I really capitalized on my opportunity to grow in the way I, the pedagogical approach to teaching skills. Right, I really got outside the box there as far as teaching through games and playing and stuff like that. Um, I started to develop tactical understanding, but I didn't develop that aspect, and I think I really missed out. And honestly, I, I kind of that's I, I, my big regret is that I was not intentional, because if I had, if I had reflected on the way that I coached, the way that I made people feel, I think that I would have grown as a player, and I would have I would have been more coachable, probably been a little more effective. Um, not that I was a bad football player at all, but you uh, but I, I definitely could have you know enhanced both cultures. Yeah, it's true. I think um, I think I'm giving myself no credit on this. I'm just acknowledging what I believe to be a truth. I think um, I think I was. I've always been a little bit reflective, like yeah. about, like with the art, with with the writing. Like I've I've had you know like. You just looked at Emerson up there, like yeah. self-reliance, um, the ability to self-reflect is something that I have come naturally to in my life. Um, and, I, and I do think that when I first started coaching, I started to become a better player. I think I was, I, I understand what my strengths and my weaknesses were athletically as a player, but it was, I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year of college uh, that I started just coaching summer school football. And it went all the way through. It was like six hours continuous football. Yeah. Uh, it was just spe- speaking the language and then having to bang out my workout after those six-hour days. So there was a little bit of uh, mental and physical fortitude that came alongside that. But reflecting on my own process, I ho- I think, um, was allowed me to be a little bit better for the people I was teaching and then in turn better at the things that I was doing and hopefully better to my teammates and things like that too. Well, I think you bring up a huge thing, which you know you don't give yourself enough credit. Like when you came to Limerick, and we're with the Vikings here playing football. You brought this whole different type of, and I wouldn't even say the word professionalism because that is totally selling it short. Like you just had this attitude. You carried yourself in a way that you know you weren't coming in there like, oh my gosh, these guys are lazy or they don't take things seriously. You just you you first you modeled a certain type of behavior and a certain like attitude and focus, and people wanted to be a part of that, right? And so. You were obviously, you know, we could tell you were very self-reflective you know, on, on your behaviors. But I think it's really cool as you talk about your, your, you started to experience coaching. And so this is what I think, you know, is a really great opportunity for, especially at the high school level and, and collegiate level, at any opportunity as possible, to 
to have co- co- for coaches to have their ki- their players to coach other people because I think that is an opportunity to then engage in a discussion about well, how did it feel to be giving them feedback then not execute it. Like you, you can have so many totally. powerful discussions to coach in a game. Did you feel angry? All right, how did that feel? Right, and it, and it, not just to have empathy for the coach's struggles, right? Sure. But, but just to reflect on, um, you know, just just that the experience as a player and as a coach. And there's a lot to be gained there. But I think you don't just throw them in coaching situations and just let them experience it. You got to actually have that dialogue, that discussion, the debrief, and a hundred percent. You're exactly right. That's it's funny. The timing is funny. I literally just sent. I could show you my text message. I I just sent. Um, tomorrow is going to be more of a fun day in the weight room. We've got our fall athletes coming in. It's going to be beautiful weather. So the second half of the day, we're going to go outside and play. Uh, the first half of the day, we are going to do a kind of like a beach workout designed by some of the kids that have been doing a nice job. So oh, really, yeah, yeah. But I, but I, but I have yet to. We do a lot of prefacing and debriefing to really try to frame situations. But I have, I have yet to. I've done this a couple of times previously. I've yet to debrief with the students that that uh, created the workout for the day about some of their frustrations. That seems like a like a valuable lesson that they could learn for sure. But I think that, yeah, I think the debrief is is huge. I, I think also like so I, I throw out a lot to a lot of coaches the idea of having players play on practice, mm-hmm. and and I think that that's kind of like a really valuable activity. And yes, not not everybody's ready for it, right? So what yep. level are they at? Like, I think right. you have to measure. I know you have to measure where people are at. Like, maybe they're not. Maybe they need your guidance. Maybe they, or maybe you can just say, "Here's a piece of paper. Go play in tomorrow's practice and right. run it," because right. they're ready for that. But you got to find where their leadership skills are at, and then kind of create an environment of support. So it's autonomy with support, right? You can't just give complete yes. free autonomy with kids and expect them to succeed. When yeah. you do that, then you go, so I told you they're not ready for that. Well, that's right. not that's not what we're talking about here, right? So right, we're talking right. about, we're not, I don't think any of us are suggesting like do what Steve Kerr did and like say, run today's, you know, coach today's game. Call it, right. Though I think it could be a cool activity. Um, but <laughs> with the right kids. <laughs> with yeah, the right absolutely. kids, right? Absolutely. It depends, right? So, um but yeah, I think you gotta have the support there. So I think you know I'd be really interested like how that's gonna go for you yeah. with, with with them running that, um, because here, I think you can learn a lot of valuable lessons from having them run a practice, plan a practice, you know, run a timeout, just even one timeout. And I think it is first off, they fail miserably, and then you have a great debrief about like why we don't try to do something like that tactically, mm-hmm. or why why did we fail, right? Why totally. what was the communication, or they succeed. And if they succeed, then you learn you, – maybe you grow as a coach. Maybe you learn, man, we're actually good at it if we do that. Or maybe that, that drill really works that they tried. Or yeah. something, you know. And, and the other big thing is like the ownership. They're, just, just, they're going to be more intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. when they have this say in what things are, are – how things are being played out in practice yeah. or within a game. So um, there's so many benefits to that, right? Totally. And, and <laughs> it's huge. So – JP, you and I were talking a little bit before this, and I uh, told you that I recently took the job as director of strength and conditioning at a uh, high school in the area. And I was wondering uh, what advice you would give to someone in their first few months on the job to help set the culture. Well, I think I've made some big mistakes in this. So I can share some of my kind of experience through my mistakes that, you know, like I remember when I first walked into my job in Tennessee, like I thought, man, I knew my stuff. Like I've been in Europe. 
I got this whole European style of play. Here we go. I've like my players loved me. You know, I left. You know, they were all crying. It was great. And I came in there like all gung ho. Yeah. And things did not go the way I planned, right? Yeah. And 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 I think what my biggest my big one of my biggest mistakes was I started I tried to impose these standards without any regard for what their vision was, what they wanted, and where they were at. And so I was recently talking to the character coach at the New England Patriots named Jack Easterby. And we were talking about accountability. And I said, you know, how do you, how do you build a culture of accountability in the Patriots? And he said, well, accountability to him just means accounting for someone's ability. And before you can start to work with someone to help them grow, you have to know where they're at. And so I think the first thing is to really assess where people are, not just as physically, but where are their, their training habits, right? Because we can go, well, you guys got to work harder. Well, Hard work means something much different for Jim than it does for me and it does for you, right? I would say we're all very hardworking people, but it's still different. And then also from Joe Schmo down the street, like it means significantly different, right? So everything means different for different people. So you've got to focus on where are people at would be the first thing and really trying to assess that. And I think that that's just kind of coming in and listening, having great conversations and just trying to see where people are at. What, uh, as Jack suggested, what is the thing you struggle the most with in life? Like, what do you really struggle with? Like, what like what areas of your life you struggle with? Is it, is it your diet, right? Are you in a home that has just constantly, like, you know, cupcakes everywhere? You know, like, mm-hmm. like really, what are they struggling? Like, so I think that's huge. Um, and if we can kind of assess that, then I think it's really about kind of a, a trying to find ways to empower them. And I think that a lot of times we want to come in with statements and lectures about, like, this is what this program is going to be about. But it really has got to be about questions. Like, and I think one of the coolest things you could do is to go in there and say, you know, what – uh, has worked well in this program so far. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is what, what have you enjoyed about the strength and conditioning program? And the second thing I ask would be, what have you not enjoyed? Like, what is what what is like not working here? And the third thing I would ask is, if you were the coach today, what would you do differently? Like, what would you just change up completely? What is something you would add that you think would add value? And I think when you start to do that, if it's something simple just take action on it, right? Like just like give them that instant empowerment. Like if you think it actually might benefit the program yeah. or, you know, then go with it, right? Like you're, you're going to make them feel heard and part of the program. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that would be the second thing. And I think the third thing is going to be really, would be really challenging to most coaches, which is to try to engage parents mm-hmm. in a healthy way that you're working with them. Because I think we have this attitude in, co- in coaching right now, which is, that parents are just a hindrance, right? They're just a big challenge. How are you going to handle the parent, the challenge of parents, right? Yeah. Like that's one of the big things. Well, why don't we start seeing them not as a challenge, but as like like a, a partner to work together? Because the reality is they're actually the biggest influencer in that kid's life. Yeah, no doubt. And if we can engage them to help us, so when it comes to diet, which is we know is so, and sleep, well, who, who has the biggest influence in their right. diet and their sleep? Yeah. Their parents. So... We can lecture them all we want, but we haven't engaged them. So that would be my three big things is just try to find ways to engage and work with the parents, see them as, as part of the culture, as part of the team, because they are part of the culture. And I think most coaches don't see it that way. It's a really good point. I think uh, you think you might try some of that at the end of the year. Maybe you, if you can't get everybody, get like a focus group of like the kids who were most active in the program and then just like the, not a pros and cons, but more in the way that you Yeah, no, it. for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I, it's all really valuable stuff. Um, I appreciate that. So the, the, I got it. The the questions actually from like there was this Navy ship captain, and I t- I totally cannot cite it here, so I don't even know if I should mention it. That's right. That's all right. But there's this Navy ship captain. He takes over this ship, and you know it could be 20 years ago, it could be 30 years ago. But I read about it, 
And he came in, and it was the worst performing ship. It had all the lowest grades, and people, the satisfaction was at an all-time low. The culture stunk, right? And that's what he did. He went to every person on the ship, and he asked him that question. Yeah. And then, like within like a few years, it became the, one of the top ships in the Navy. Yeah. And I, I always thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, a very applicable lesson. Yeah. Um, and I had one more thing, which is the, the fun factor. And I think we we are so gung ho about teaching life lessons. Like we really do. We want to have people be harder workers and, and, and more and control their emotions and all that. And those things are all really important, but I think it starts with the passion and instilling that fun. And, and I remember we were kind of doing some research with the brain out there and, and, and reading about that. And it was like, the more fun you have, the more conflict you can have. So you want to challenge people. You want to push people. You have to have higher levels of fun and enjoyment. So it doesn't have to be, I'm not, I use the word fun as like, you know, run around with squirt guns all day, but mm-hmm. it could look like that some days. It could be a Nerf gun fight or something like that. But I mean more so in the sense of like, is it an enjoyable environment to be a part of? Yep. And you, you really got to establish that from the beginning if you want to challenge people. I like it. All right, JP, this is the lightning round. <laughs> First question. <laughs> what would constitute a successful day? So up at 445, reflection, reading, writing, little mini workout that takes about five minutes. By seven o'clock, my kids... It's all about them for the next kind of hour or so, and then kind of get into some work. You know, that could look differently, but it's usually engaging, talking with people, writing, um, hopefully uh, working on something that's coming up, like a speaking engagement. Then five o'clock comes around, it's just all family time. I mean, that, that's just, that's the perfect day for me. Is if I can just try to get, really get all that stuff done by around that time, I feel like I can be fully engaged with the people that matter the most in my life. Uh, you already alluded to it, but you have, if you had a short amount of time and access to any equipment you want, what workout would you do? Um, just a normal like uh, body workout, just like you know something simple. Uh, I love a pull-up bar, like something I could do on that as well. Uh, that's always that was always I think is critical. But after that, I don't I don't even have to have a barbell anymore. So, who would play you in a movie about your life? Brad Pitt. <laughs> no this is a podcast uh, yeah. oh. we're gonna post this on youtube yeah. let the fans vote like the um, fans vote. no no you don't think brad pitt could do me rephrase I, yeah rephrase that we'll cut that yeah. part yeah. um he's brad pitt you can do anybody fondest high school or junior high sports memory Fondest, what, what, sorry, say that fondest out. high school or junior high sports memory? Mm, high school. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now I just realized what the question You gotta was. leave that in, bud. <laughs> Nailed it. First person to get that correct. That was lightning. Right? There we go. Yeah, we want quick lightning. answers. Um, oh, it's gotta be like senior season, uh, step back, making a game winner on this game that I scored a thousand points. Um, yeah, hit hit a thousand. How long was this game? Check this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, all in one game, right? It was the thousand of your my career, and and so I I had like to step back against our rival, and everybody stormed the court, and you know we ended up winning the the conference with that game. I mean, it was it it was pretty awesome. That's pretty storybook. Yeah, it was. Yeah. All right, last one I got for you. People currently working in the coaching profession who you admire. Brad Stevens, Greg Popovich, and and Bill Belichick. 
I, I, I've really come to admire just kind of the, the differences in those guys, but they have some simple core values that I think connect them. I think we can all learn from. Fair enough. Oh, we're going to drop an Anson Dorns there too. For I think a lot of people don't know about him, but North Carolina women's soccer coach. Um, big time. Big. I mean, he's just, he's huge. He's huge. So you can pick up anything by him that he's written. Definitely get it. Get your hands on it. There you go. All right. All right, JP, that's, that's all we got for you today. Um, but you are welcome back anytime. I hope to see you back in Chicago soon. Um, that couch is always yours, my friend. Oh, I, I look forward to sleeping there tonight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, s- sincerely, though, you're doing amazing work. You, you are doing amazing work. Um, tell us where we can find out more about you. Uh, you just go to my website, thriveonchallenge.com. And um, I, my big thing is it starts with mentorship. And it's about getting connecting with coaches really just kind of walking with them on the same journey that I've kind of am still going through. Like you never, yeah. end, it's a never ending journey, right? Sure. Um, but that was really transformational for me a few years ago. That really helped me. So, um, and so yeah, that's the big thing. So you can go on there and then and, and check that out. This episode brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. They are also the official sponsor of the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association, a partner organization overseen by the Good Athlete Project. We would not support a product we didn't believe in. Check them out at Hand Armor Chalk on Twitter and Instagram.